0: Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, first time I've preached here at Crossway in many years. I won't go into all the, the details of, uh, of that, but I think the last time I ever preached in this room was when you had a different name for your church. And uh, I'm just blessed to be here. Thank you for your attendance today. Because, uh, you know, when the pastor's out, you know, sometimes people just sort of, skip and lay out and all that my voice is uh, not cooperating with me very well today so please be patient with me and pray for me while I try to preach the word this morning but I want to thank you first of all for your partnership in the work of the gospel across mid-Michigan as we try to reach uh, our communities through the Bay Association for Jesus Christ Uh, your church is a very key church in what we're trying to do here Uh, trying to work and cooperate together with 13 other congregations in the Bay Association uh, that are spread from Cairo all the way over to Harrison on the other side. So we have uh, quite a few churches, but we don't have enough. Uh, There's still a lot of people that are lost, and they need to hear the gospel, and we need to plant more churches too. And uh, so just pray as the lord leads maybe who knows what the lord will lead your church to do sometime and maybe starting another congregation somewhere i don't know just you want to do what god wants you to do amen amen, amen. well let's pray together and then i'll uh, look at a, a text together with you this morning father thank you for your blessings upon uh, each one of us today thank you that you have uh, called us here today together to worship you, to sing your praises, to pray together, to fellowship with one another, and to study the word. And God, I pray you would give me grace and anoint me that I might proclaim your word and truth, and Lord, that you might use me today in some way. I pray for the hearers of the word, that they would not be hearers only, but doers of the word, and would will apply this to their lives as they go out from here into the mission field that's all around us this week. Bless Pastor John and his family. Thank you for his service here and his ministry. Thank you for using him in such a great way. Give him fruitfulness as he tries to seek and raise support for the ministry that you're calling him to. I pray you'll have much success with that and that you'll bless him mightily. And guide this church, Lord, too, as they seek your will as to uh, how they would proceed uh, after John has uh, gone on. We'll miss him, but we'll thank you for all he's done and the way you've used him since he's been here. But, Lord, more than anything, we love you, and we thank you for coming to us because, as we just sang, if you didn't love us first, We never would have loved you. And so God, thank you for being that missionary, for taking that initiative, taking that step toward us, because we would have just stayed right where we were had you not done that. And I pray that, Lord, in the sermon today, that we'll see that there's been some changes made in our lives since we've been saved. And I pray that we'll be reminded of that today and what difference that should make. And I give you the praise and the glory for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The text today is found in 2 Corinthians. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. The second letter, the chapter 5, verse, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. I also have... Uh, uh, asked some people in the congregation this morning to help me out a little bit here and there during the sermon by reading a scripture that applies to a certain part of what we're going to be looking at. So in just a moment, I'll be calling on some of you to read, and thank you in advance for your help. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians five fourteen through 21, where the scripture says, For the love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, As though God were entreating through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that's our text this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about five things that God has done for us in Christ that it come right out of these verses. The first one is in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Friend, because of what God did for us through Christ's death and resurrection, we have a new motivation in life. A new motivation. Verse 14 tells us that the thing that compels us, that controls us, that motivates us, in all that we should do should come out of love. Love should motivate us because of what God did through Christ on the cross. Because he loved us first. We love him. And how do we show that love? Didn't Jesus say in the Gospel of John, uh, if you love me, Keep what? Keep my commandments. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you keep his commandments? <laughs> kind of makes you, you know, think, right? All right. Just, I'm not judging. I just let the Lord do that, right? All right. The love of Christ compels us because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. Uh, I gave someone Colossians 3.3, 3. okay? Denise. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen. Your life is hidden in Christ, in God. You died in Christ. When he died, you died. And he died for you on the cross. And that's what the next verse tells us about. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. So not only do we have a new motivation, but we have a new master. We have a new master. In fact, there's a verse that tells us in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So, uh, Jesus, we have a new master We're to live for Jesus now, when before we were saved, we used to live for ourselves, right? I mean, it was all about me, all about what I want, all about what I think, you know? YouTube, people love YouTube today, don't they? It's because they want people to see them. It's all about them. We had a good sermon yesterday at the associational meeting. Uh, Brother Bill Livingston, many of you know Bill. He made the point that so many churches today aren't known as whatever church. They're known as whatever the preacher's is named ministries. It's all about the preacher. It's not about the church. And folks, we live in a day of individualism where it's all about us and Facebook. Everything is about me or whatever. So we need to be careful that we realize that now that we're saved, it's not all about us anymore. It's about the one who died for us. And gave himself up for us. It's about Jesus, and so he died for all that. That those who live should no longer live what for themselves. He owns you now, if you're saved. So you don't have a right to put up a no trespassing sign or, uh, you know, don't tread on me or anything like that. You, you don't own yourself. Jesus owns you. Uh, someone has Romans fourteen seven through 9, if you would read that. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For that, to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Amen. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that, right? I mean, sometimes God's word is so clear, I don't need to say anything. You know, it's just right there. Uh, so because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, you have a new motivation. You've got a new master. He calls the shots. He's Lord, right? You're not. He's God. You're not. He owns you. Um, uh, He's the king. You're not. You're a servant of the Lord's. Some of you are probably familiar with the uh, two ways to live gospel presentation. Uh, And it talks about who's king. Right? Who will be king in your life? Well, that's what this is all about. It's not you anymore. It's all about the Lord. So as you think through this verse, Think about your own life right now. Is there any area of your life where Jesus is not king? Is he not Lord? Is there some area you're hiding that you haven't surrendered to him, that you're holding out on? And again, I think, of a, I think it was a pamphlet that University Press put out many years ago. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it talks about someone's life as if it's a house and there's all these different rooms that make up the house. There's the kitchen and the living room and the study and the, uh, the hall closet. And the hall closet was where the person hid all the stuff that they didn't want Jesus to see. And when Jesus wanted to get into the closet, they're like, no, you know, that, that's not, that's mine. I don't want you to see what's in there. But friend, listen, when we sing th- songs like I Surrender All, That's what we should do. It's not ours anymore. It's his. He has bought us. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who, what did he do for us? He died for us, and he rose again. I mean, I've already marked some stuff that we sang about this morning, and we were proclaiming those very things in the songs that we were singing this morning. And you sang it. We live not for ourselves, but for our new master. So we have a new motivation. We have a new master. Verse 16, we see, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one or regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So, What does that mean? That means now that we've been saved, we have a new mentality. We see people differently than we did. Brother Richard prayed about that a while ago, that we would not see people through our own eyes of the flesh, but that we would see people the way God does. Now, h- how do we usually look at people? Normally, we'll say we'll look at them on a cosmetic or some superficial level, like he's a doctor, lawyer, a teacher. That's a rich person, a poor portion, a person. That's a weird person. There are weird people, right? I mean, let's just be honest. There are weird people. Different, maybe that's a better word. Uh, Pretty, that's a pretty person, woman. Handsome. He's liberal. She's conservative. That's a Muslim. That's a Jew. That's a Hindu. And we kind of segment people, right? We label people, and we look at them a certain way, and we think, you know, I don't really want to deal with that kind of person or, or have anything to do with someone like that. But yet, the way we should really see people is not according to the flesh now that we're saved. We should see them as lost and in need of Christ. Sinners in need of Jesus. That's the way we ought to see them, first and foremost. Our old flesh, uh, before we were saved, that old man that we still fight with wants us to segment people and label people and see them according to the flesh. But God says, no, you need to start seeing them as lost sinners in need of the grace of God. And that's exactly what we need to do. In fact, uh, Paul talked about knowing Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. I mean, to a lot of people today and, and even in Paul's day, Jesus was a an upstart he was a rebel he was a revolutionary he might have been a good teacher maybe he was a prophet and all of these things and people today have ideas right about who jesus is and if you press him that he's the only way to heaven that he's god in the flesh they kind of start backing off they don't want to hear all that stuff about jesus they want to hear about the, the nice jesus you know the the good Jesus that just loved everybody no matter what and all that. Well, they know a Christ according to the flesh. But he is so much more than that, folks. And now that you're saved, you know that. You know he's so much more than just the the big man upstairs or he's more than just the good Lord or he's more than just a teacher or a prophet or a preacher who had some good moral things to say, or a revolutionary. He is so much more than that. He took on flesh. God who took on flesh and came to dwell among us so that we might go to be where he is one day and that he might live in our lives. So we have a new motivation, love. We have a new master to live for Jesus and not for ourselves. We have a new mentality where we look at others differently than we used to now. Before we were saved, we saw people the way the world does, but now we see people the way God does. And then when we come to verse 17, we see something else that's new. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, and to me that means saved. If you're in Christ, you're saved. He is a new creation right now so what else is new now that you're saved you are a new man or a woman you know either way but i have to make my letters match up so (laughs) i don't have to i'm really not stuck on alliteration but as as i just studied out this passage it just kind of fit so a new man a new man because if anyone is in christ he is a new creation John 3, 3. Someone has that one. John 3, verse 3. Okay. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again is to be born anew. To be given new life. To be born from above. Born by the Spirit. And you, if you're not, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then Romans six, verse four, someone has that one. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. So old things have passed away. If you're saved right now, you have new life. You have a new life in you. And that life isn't yours. It's the life of Christ. He actually comes to live within you. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within you. And so he begins to live his life through you. And the longer he's living in and through you, the less people ought to see the, the old you and the more they ought to see the new you. That's called sanctification. That's a theological term. you probably heard it. Becoming more holy. Becoming Christ-like. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that progresses from the moment you're saved until you go to glory and be with the Lord. It's growth in grace. And so you have a new man, a life that's new, that's begun in you. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And then finally, there's some other new thing that happens to you after you're saved. And it's verses 18 through 21, where it says, Now all things are of God. The NAS says, Now all these things are from God. In other words, who brought all this about? He did. Without God, this doesn't happen. Try all you may. Without God, it doesn't happen. So... All things are of or from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says at one time we were not reconciled to God. I gave someone Romans 5 verse 10, not 11, but 10. Okay, so what happened? We were enemies, but now because of the death of Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross, we have been brought near. We've been reconciled with him. Romans 5.11, who's got that? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have reconciliation. Amen. Why did we need to be reconciled with God? Because he's holy and we're not. He said, do this or don't do that. And we did the opposite. We did what he said not to do. And we didn't do what he said to do. Sins of commission and omission. Bible says we're all sinners, right? By nature, by choice. We do it. We choose it. We were alienated from God. We were sinners. There was a separation between us and God. We needed to be reconciled with God or else we have no hope. So what did he do? He did it through Jesus Christ. And here's the new thing that's happened in verse 18. He has given to us the what? Ministry of what? Reconciliation. Friend, listen. Listen. This is the clearest verse in the Bible that says that if you're saved, you are a minister. It's not just Pastor John or Pastor Doug or Pastor Richard that is a minister. You have been given a ministry from God. Now, I know a few of you. I don't know all of you very well, Um. I know Brother Jerry over here. He's got the yogurt shops all around. What a place to do ministry. He is your missionary at Yogurt Yeti. Uh, Brother Richard's working at a farmer's produce stand or whatever it was you were telling me yesterday where guys can come buy sugar beets and stuff for deer season and all that. Missionary. I don't know where the rest of you work or where you go shopping or where you go to school but you know what? You're there to be a witness for God. You have a ministry where he put you. And it's just not by accident or chance. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I don't believe in luck. People say well good luck. You know, that's another sermon. (laughs) But And we just say it, you know, we don't really, anyway. But look, you have a ministry. You have been given a new ministry. It is an ambassadorship. Now, in your notes on the back page, it looks like some of you have been filling them in. We have a new ministry. Now, that word, legate, I had to find an L word. That's an old-fashioned, European, Latin kind of word for ambassador. That's all it is. I just want you to know there was an L word for that. All right. Now, what does an ambassador do? We have ambassadors, right? We have U.S. ambassadors in the Philippines, in Panama, in Portugal, in Brazil. We have ambassadors in South Korea and China in the Russia, all over the world. Now, that ambassador isn't sent over there to do whatever he wants to do. He has a mission, and his mission is to represent the president of the country that has sent him there. He can't just make it up as he goes and do whatever he wants or say whatever he wants. Now listen, if you're here today and you've been saved, if you're a new creation and you're in Christ, you have a ministry, you're an ambassador to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You serve him. And if he tells you to go and tell people something, you need to do that. That's your job. That's your responsibility. He didn't say, your job is to go and save people. Never in the Bible does it say, you need to go save people. Because you know what? You can't. That's God's work. That's the Spirit's work. No one here, No one you know has even saved you. pastor can't save you. Only God can do that. So that's why we point people to Jesus. He's the only one that can help them. It was God who was in Christ. Look at verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Someone has Colossians 2.9. The entire fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. He is God in the flesh. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, here's an interesting question. Did God have to do that? He didn't have to. If, if he had to, if he was obligated to do it, it wouldn't be grace. Grace. We, were, we would be getting paid off for something we did. But he did not have to do that. This is grace, pure, 100% grace. He was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, which he can do. And my friend, listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're not a new creation, you still have to pay the penalty for your trespasses. I hope that you understand that God has done something in his son Jesus Christ to pay them for you so that you don't have to go to hell. Jesus took upon your sin so that you could live forever. We're going to see that in this last verse in just a minute. He did not impute their trespasses to them and has given to us the word of reconciliation. It's something that we must tell other people. We can't just Live our lives and hope people think, I need to get saved. We need to live our lives, and our lives need to match what we say, but we have to say something. We must tell them something that must be backed up with our lives. We need to be consistent. So we have a word to tell them in this ministry we've been given. And then verse 20 tells us very clearly, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was pleading through us. God was moving you as a Christian to plead through you to other people that you know and that are around you that they need to be reconciled to God. I'm sure that every one of you here, if you think back to when you were saved, you can think back how God used somebody to bring you to that point where you realized you needed Jesus. Maybe not directly, but he used someone indirectly because somebody printed that gospel tract. Somebody laid it there. Somebody read the scripture to you. Somebody sang a song that was based on scripture. Somebody taught a Bible school class or Sunday school or went into the neighborhood with a Bible club or something, and you heard about Jesus. Just like Romans tells us in chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you have to tell people. It's got to be backed up with your life. God's pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what we want. If we start regarding people according to the flesh again, we're going to think, that person, eh? they don't need to hear. They don't need to know. They don't need to experience what I have. What if God did that for us? None of us would be saved. They're old wretched sinners. They don't need nothing. Well, it's not up to us whether God's going to save them or not. But it is up to us to be the means that he uses in that process. And let's look at the last verse together. Verse 21. For he, for God, made him who knew no sin. Who knew no sin? Jesus, right. Someone has 1 John 3 5. Amen. In him there is no sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Who are the us here? Those of us who believed who are now the new creations. What happens when we believe? Our sin is placed upon Christ. He takes our sin away from us. And the sinless one, who shouldn't have even been on the cross, because he had no sin, is now on the cross, not for anything he'd done, but because of what we'd done. He's there substituted for us. Taking our sin. Romans 8.3. Someone has that one. For God has done what the law we by the flesh could not do. It. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Amen. The law can't save us. All it can do is condemn us. It can't help us. It leaves us helpless. In fact, it's the law that brings about the knowledge of sin and how and why we need to be saved. And then Galatians 3.13. Someone has that. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He took our curse. He took our penalty. He took the punishment that we deserve. That, look at verse 21, we might become the righteousness of God in him he takes our sin but in that perfect sinless life that he lived he also lived for us he gives us his righteousness he not only takes our sin but he gives us his righteousness so now when we stand before God when all is said and done he can tell us welcome thou good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a righteousness that does not come from us, because we don't have any, but it comes from Christ alone. Finally, 1 Peter 2.24. Someone has that. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds who have been healed. Amen. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might live to righteousness do did, did you know that now that you're saved you can't live any way you want to you can't there are a lot of people through the years uh, that grew up in baptist churches that heard their preacher say once saved always saved and you know what they thought that meant they thought that meant "Well, once i'm saved i'm always forgiven so i can go out and live any way i want to i could send up a storm And then on the last day, I'm going to heaven. That's not what it means. Once saved, always saved means once saved. That's the issue. If you don't get that right, none of the rest is true. If you're not saved, you don't have eternal life. So once you're saved, you do have it because it's eternal. But you won't want to live any way you want to because we've already read verse 15 that you should no longer live for yourselves. Why? Because you have a new master. You have something new compelling you love, a motivation, a new mentality. You're a new man and you have a new ministry. How could you live any way that you want to? You need to live for God and for His glory. And so as I close this morning, I am always aware that in a service like this, there is the possibility that someone here may not know Jesus in the way that we've just read about. You don't have that new motivation. You don't have that new life. You're not a new creation. But you want that. You need that. You realize that you, you, the sin that's on your life condemns you. And the only one who can take care of that is Jesus. And my prayer for you is that this morning... This afternoon, tonight, as soon as you're able and ready, you need to just bow before God and thank Him for what Christ has done on the cross and trust Him to save you, Christ and Him alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity together today to study Your Word. Thank You for all the new things You've brought into our lives. And Lord, help us to remember as we go out this week that we can't live any way we want we can't do whatever we want that lord we're yours we're your ministers now it's not just the preachers and the pastors that have ministries but lord really according to your word we all have a ministry wherever you've placed us help us to live that out help us to be faithful telling others about christ and what he did for us thank you lord for your word thank you for what you're doing Even now, we can't see what you're doing in our hearts. But I know your word's doing something because you promised that any time your word went forth that it would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.